It's great to see you this morning. Well, hey, I'm super excited for us to be in part three this morning of our series, taking us through the New Testament uh, book of James. And I hope you found this book to be helpful to you. I know this book is it's incredibly insightful. It's also very hard hitting. You know, it's incredibly practical. It's one of those books that you walk away from and you go, okay, I know what God's word said. There's no lack of clarity there. I know even my call to action. You're going to see that again this morning. Uh, We said a few things about James that I think are helpful for us just to review and understand as we even look at where we're going this morning. We said that James writes from a very unique perspective. So James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and so his words are very weighty because James actually watched Jesus grow up. 1 Corinthians 15 says that then after Jesus Christ went to the cross, he rose from the grave he appeared to James, and so that took away any doubt that he might have had that his brother was the, the son of God. And so James's words land with a lot of weight. We know that James was an, a, a fo- not only a follower of Christ, but he was also looked at as a pillar of the faith. He was looked at as, in the early church, he was a key leader for them. His audience, the people that he's writing to, he said that he's writing to ethnic Jews. So he's, he's writing to a group of people, and you might be able to relate to this group. He's writing to a group of people that have said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to know what it means to follow him. I I, want to know how do I live for him? How does it impact my life? What does it mean for me on Monday to follow Jesus? That's the kind of people that that James is writing to in in this book. And what we're going to see is that he constantly, including this morning, he calls us to action. He calls us to places of action. And so we saw this in week one. We looked at the chapter one and we said, hey, what do we do when we face trials? How do you get through a trial? Maybe you're experiencing one right now. James had some words for us on that, on how we look at those times in our lives. He also had some words for us on temptation in week one. What does it mean when I'm tempted? How am I supposed to respond to that? And then last week, we got into the second half of chapter one, and we saw the very important difference between being a listener and a doer. Uh, What does it mean for me not just simply to hear God's word, but what does it mean for me to to be the kind of person that it actually affects how I live, that when I walk out of this place, I act differently than I did before because I've heard. And so we asked a very important question. We said, when God speaks, how do I respond? When God speaks, what does that mean? How does it land? Does it land in my heart? Does it lead me to action? Does it make me eager to seek the ways of God? So that was... um, that was chapter one. This morning, we're going to turn the page. We're going to get to chapter two. And so if, actually, if you want to even turn or click there now, you sure can. Um, what we're going to talk about this morning in chapter two is this. We're going to talk about some of the things that really rise to the top of the heart of God, um, things that really matter to God. I think you're going to see this morning, you're going to say, I love the reminder that I got of how God thinks today. I love the reminder that I got today of then how he says, hey, if you're my people, this is how you should act. Uh, Rob mentioned this in our 365 reading for today, Psalm 17. It also said this. It said, the psalmist wrote, my steps have held to your paths. This morning, you're going to see one of the paths of God. Like you're going to see, hey, if I want to follow in the path of God, this morning where James goes is one of the places that God would take us. And so if you have a Bible, turn there now. If you don't have a Bible, as always, we would love to get a Bible in your hands. And so you can go out. We've got guests, our guest area in our lower lobby here. Grab a free Bible um, from us. We would love to do, give you one of those. Because again, each week we say this, but we, we simply just want to go before God week in and week out. We want to open this book and we want to say, God, what do you want to say to us? 
because we're not wise, but you are wise, and so you would help us uh, walk in wisdom if we would follow your ways. And so that's our desire again this morning. So James chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Why don't you do this with me? Why don't you actually stand up with me, and, and we'll read God's word together this morning. I'll read it to you. James 1, we're going to start in James chapter 2, verse 1. It says, my, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and you say, hey, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God, God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him, of him to whom you belong? Verse 8. If you really keep the, the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you are convicted by the law as law breakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Verse 12, speak and act then as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Pray with me. Lord, we pray now that you would speak to us through your word. Father, I thank you that you you have everyone here this morning who you wanted here, and you wanted us here for a specific reason. And Lord, we just want to say to you right now, we want to lean in today, and we want to anticipate that you're going to speak to us. And so church, even right now, would you personalize this? And would you say, Lord, would you speak to me this morning? Go ahead and just take a second on your own. Just say, Lord, you're a good God. Would you speak directly to me this morning? Go ahead on your own do that. Lord, we thank you that every time we make a request like that, you answer that. And so, Father, we just anticipate now that you would lead your church. So we love you. And, Father, we pray that we would make your name great this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to start off by asking you kind of a hard question. I know it's a snowy day, but I hope you're up for it. Here it is. It's a hard question. Remember the book of James, though, it's like that, isn't it? It's, hard. Man, it's just hard-hitting. It comes at us, but that's okay. We, we, we want that. We want to be shaped by Jesus. And so here's the question. Do you ever find yourself treating certain people differently than you treat others? Do you ever find yourself treating different people differently? Like maybe it's because of their economics, or maybe it's because of their age or their ethnicity, or maybe you don't have common interests with them, or maybe it's because they're attractive or less attractive. Yeah, ever sometimes, even maybe unintentionally, you show a level of enthusiasm and care for one kind of a person, but then there's another kind of a person that you just kind of walk right by them. Maybe it's not even intentional, but you just don't notice them. You just don't, you don't gravitate towards them. You're prone maybe to overlook them, to move right past them. I know I can be guilty of this. I want us to look at two questions this morning as we look at this text. Two questions that 
I think are going to drive us to help us to see the people that God wants us to see, but then also to respond in the way that he wants us to respond to them. So question one is this, Lord, who do you want me to see? Lord, as I go about my week, like who do you want me to see? Who do you want me to notice? And the question two is this, how do you then want me to see them? Because how I see someone will dramatically impact how I respond to them. So Lord, who first do you want me to see, but then how do you want me to see them? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've been wondering, what concerns Jesus? This is going to be helpful for you. If you're here this morning and you're going, I want to know, what are followers of Jesus Christ instructed to do? Who are they instructed to care about? Like, who should rise to the top for followers of Christ? What should mark the path of those who choose to follow Jesus? This morning will be really helpful for you. You're going to be able, I think, to walk out of here actually pretty excited about not only who Jesus is, but the high calling that he puts on those that choose to follow him. So let's dive into this. Look with me at verse, uh, verse 1. James writes, My brothers... And sisters, and I, I want to stop there a whole four words in because we've got to understand something here about James. You, you've got to understand his tone, and you see this repeated, and I think that's why we can really talk about this. We've got to understand how James is writing. He's not writing this to a group of people that he wants to power up on. Uh, think of, for a second, think of a father or a mother that loves their children. When that parent gives them instruction or warning, they're not doing that because they want to be the all-powerful killjoy in their, in their child's life. They're doing that because they know a better way. That's what James is doing here. James is looking at these people. He's saying, brothers and sisters, hey, I care about you. And hey, I'm not trying to power up on you, but I am trying to give you a warning that I want you to take to heart so that you'll take this invitation to a better way that you can live. That's where James is writing from. Not trying to power up, but inviting us into a good way. If I say to my child, hey, don't do that. Try this instead. Again, I'm, I'm inviting them. My warning is to pull them into something good. So he writes, my brothers and sisters, verse 1, believers, then he says, in our Lord, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, notice there, there is this not so subtle pointer to Jesus there. I mean, think about what he says there. Uh, for very powerful words, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, believers in him. In other words, what James is saying right from the beginning, and I think those words, those four words are so important to setting up this whole topic in this whole text. James is wanting us to know, he's wanting to remind us right away, hey, Jesus is glorious. Hey, Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's above all. If you forgot that, he's saying, we got to clarify that really quick, because in order for you to see people rightly, first you've got to understand who exactly is God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, it says what? It describes him as an unapproachable light. He's that magnificent. I love this first, uh, or Psalm 145, verse 3. David said this, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. And then he said, his greatness nobody can fathom. David said, the greatness of God, I can't even get my mind around it. He's so holy. He's so good. We can't even fathom it. James is wanting to be so very clear here. Don't forget who God is. He's saying, hey, I want you to realize that you've got God and then you've got people. God is holy. And you don't have God and then you've got people, class one, people, class two, people, class three. No. 
He's saying, if you truly see God as glorious and holy and Lord of lords and King of kings, then you're going to be able to see God and then people, God's chosen people, people that he dearly loves, his prized possession. Imagine that you came in this morning and sitting to your left was someone incredibly famous, somebody that you've always wanted to meet. Who would that be for you? Think about it. Who who have you always wanted to meet? You can confess, it's okay. But who have you always wanted to meet? So they're on your left. So now think who's on your right. It's the second person in your list. Who do you really want to meet? Like if, like if you could have two, who's now on your right? Who is that person? Now, let me ask this question. If they were truly sitting next to you, how would you feel? It'd be a little jarring, wouldn't it? It'd be a little bit distracting. You might be like, hey, can we get a selfie like during worship or right when it's over? Can you sign my Bible or whatever? I mean, I don't know what you'd do. But it would be, you'd be a little bit distracted, wouldn't you? But now imagine this. Imagine that God showed up on this stage in all of his glory. And imagine that, and we know in the scriptures that if he did that, it would be too much for us. Way too much for us to be able to even bear. But imagine that he made it bearable. And imagine that God showed up in all of his glory. Let me ask you this question. Would you then be distracted by the person on your left or your right? Absolutely not. You wouldn't even be thinking about it. You'd be so overwhelmed at who God is. And James is wanting his readers to be overwhelmed at the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Because James knows this. If you and I focus on who God is, then we'll see people the way that we should see them. And so he starts off in that place. The glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes the people will, will say a phrase like this. They'll say that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And what they're trying to say, what they're saying when they say a phrase like that is this, is that when you really realize who Jesus Christ is, when you really realize how incredibly much you and I need him, we need his grace and we need his forgiveness, it takes away any I'm better than you kind of thinking in our minds. It takes away any, hey, I, I, I choose to favor this person above that person. No, that stuff goes out the door because when you really come to the foot of the cross, you realize I need Jesus. And so I look at people as they need Jesus too. And there's no categories. It's God the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and then it's all these chosen people. It's all these people that are dearly loved by God, his beautiful possession. You know, when we started talking about having a weekly service down at the Douglas County Correction Center, uh, there were lots of people that expressed excitement in that. A lot of people, excitement in that, and rightly so. But then there was a group of people, and I noticed this, particularly at the second, third time we started to mention it, I noticed that there was a group of people that came up and they said things like this. Thank you. And they said this in tears. That's why it was so noticeable. They said, thank you for pursuing this. Because my mom, or they said my brother, or my dad, or my son was incarcerated. And they said, this is so important that we're doing this as a church. And you know why they felt that way? You know why they were moved to tears? You know why that whole effort captivated their hearts? It was because they understood, okay, I've got a personal connection to these people, and this is the reminder this morning, church, God has a personal connection to every single person that our path crosses, every person. And so when God sees people, his heart is moved by people. And so James is saying, okay, so if you believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Two categories, God and people. 
He says, you must not show favoritism. You know, it's interesting, that word favoritism, just looking into it this week, it literally translates in their, their language as receiving the face. That's what it means. It's powerful, isn't it? Meaning this, it means I'm making judgments and distinctions based on external considerations such as physical appearance, social status, or race. I am receiving the face. So I receive the face, but oftentimes I ignore the soul. I see the face, and I respond. I see the face, right? External, those kinds of things. We have to understand, church. We have to understand this. I have to remind myself this of this. God does not see people like we do sometimes. He doesn't at all. Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says God does not show favoritism. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, talking about masters and servants, it says that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. None at all. One commentator put it like this. He said, A favoritism based on external considerations is inconsistent with faith in the one who came to break down the barriers of nationality, race, class, gender, and religion. Verse 2. Look at James, what he says now. He illustrates his point. Here he goes, driving it home. Suppose a man comes into your meeting. Brookside, imagine this like happening in our midst. Imagine this. Suppose a man comes into your gathering, your meeting, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and then a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. So think about it. You got the first guy comes in. He looks good. He smells good. Maybe he's got aftershave on. I don't know. Maybe he's known in the community. But then you've got the second guy. He comes in. He's unknown. His outfit is not impressive. He doesn't look good. He smells but it doesn't smell good. Verse 3, we need to hear this. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, here's a good seat for you. Kind of like, hey, we got this special area roped off just for you. Come to the front. You'll be able to see really well. Come on in. But you say to the poor man, you stand there. Like back there. You stand there. Or you sit on the floor, even worse, by my feet. How insulting. Verse 4, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, I'm now the judge. He's saying that you take that position of you're the judge. You get to judge the soul now. She was saying, no, not at all. Brooks said, we have to ask this question, even in our own midst, do we treat certain people certain ways for superficial reasons? Is there anybody that we just look at wrongly? We assume wrong things. James is saying whether you're a student or an adult, if your identity is in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if you worship him, it should not be the case with us. Like everywhere else in the world, that's pretty much expected. I mean, that's going to happen. You're going to be judged by external things. I think we would all disagree with that. Unfortunately, that's true. But James is saying, hey, among us, though, in our midst, in our church, in our gathering, in the way that we talk inside this place, in the way we look at people outside this place, it should not be this way. We should care about the souls of people. This week, I wondered what goes through the heart and the mind of God when he sees someone being left out. What goes through the heart and the mind of God when he sees, again, God, people. When he sees one of these people, not classes, but his people, people, his creation, Genesis 1, what goes through the heart and the mind of God when they get forgotten or they get overlooked or judged? 
I had something happen to me this week that gave me, I think, a small taste of what might, how this might land in the mind of God. So clear back in November, we got multiple emails, Christine and I did, from one of our sons, our oldest son's teacher, and uh, one, of her, one of his teachers, and she was saying this, she was saying, hey, on the evening of February 14th, your son or daughter needs to make sure that they are here because they're going to perform this drama that we've been working on, and they have to perform this in order to pass the class. So it's November, and I'm telling you now, February 14th, that evening, you need to be here. So we're like, wow, this must be important. So we, you know, canceled our small group. We talked about attending as a family. Uh, as the week came, day before, we got the specific time. He'd be on call here, and then he'd be on the stage at this time. So Thursday night came, and I texted Christina because I knew we had multiple things going on that night, and I texted her, and I said, hey, I'm heading home. And she replied, no problem. We're still at Aiden's performance. He just finished. And my heart sank to the bottom of a very deep, dirty swamp. I totally forgot. He'd been working on this thing for months. Now, here's why it was, I think, so impactful to me, because I grew up in a home where my two parents would drive two hours in a snowstorm to watch me wrestle for six minutes, and usually it didn't end well for me. But they were there. And so when I can be at something for my children, I'm there. I want to be there. And so we pulled into the garage at about the same time. I got out of the truck. He got out of the car. And I looked at him. And I said, Aiden, I am so sorry. I totally forgot. And he was like, Dad, it's fine. I could do that at the kitchen table for you right now. But I was so disappointed. I mean, I kept talking about it all night. Finally, Ashton was like, quit talking about it. We know. Get over it. But think about this. When you forget, when I forget, when you mistreat, when you overlook, think about what that does to the heart of God. Because again, to God, the reason I was so upset is because he's my son. And, and God looks at people and he says, those are my creation, every single one of them. And so you can't show favoritism. You can't look at one person one way and look at another person another way and show favor here and show no favor there. You can't do that. The Lord is saying, no. And when we do that, it breaks the heart of God. And do you know why I believe it breaks the heart of God? It's because all people matter to God. Every single person matters to God. So James says, don't you be partial. Don't you see the face. Don't just receive the face and ignore the soul. No, see people how God sees them. They're soul-bearing people. You know, we have five values here as a church. We have one mission, and then we say underneath that one mission, helping people find and follow Jesus, we, see, we say we have five things, only five, that really rise to the top that we feel called to as a church. One of those, very specifically, is this. Just five simple words, all people matter to God. And it's this reminder for us as a church that, hey, foster kids matter to God just as much as kids who know where they're staying. Foster kids matter to God. Think about that. You, you, you clothed the 1,000th kid this week, church. You should be so proud of yourselves. All people matter to God. You're a church of action. You live that out. We have this value. All people matter to God. And you know why we have it? It's because we want to be reminded, okay, it's a God-honoring thing for us to be actively seeking to grow in the area of ethnic diversity as a church. So that one day we're going to look around and we're going to go, oh, this is going to be kind of like what it's like in heaven. And we're going to know, oh, this is a symbol that though we're different, we worship this great, glorious Lord Jesus Christ together. 
All people matter to God. It's this reminder to us. Okay, rich people, poor people, they matter to God just the same. People that are free, but also people that are behind bars, they still, they matter deeply to God. And Brookside, I just want to say this to you this morning. It is an honor to serve with you because you do this so well. You care so well for people, so well. Verse 5, James keeps going. He gets very practical. And you can kind of think of it like this now. When we get to verse 5, it's like you're looking in the window of his church. You're looking in the window at what's going on in their context. Here it is. He says, listen, my dear, again, I'm not powering up on you. I'm inviting you to something great. My dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? So in the scriptures, you're going to see this time and time again, two kinds of poor people that are described, economically poor people. And then Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus talks about that there are people that are poor in spirit. And Jesus says, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit in other words, blessed are those who are approach me with humility and in meekness and with a deep desire and awareness of who God is and their longing for him. Verse 6, he says, but you, you have dishonored the poor. In other words, they've been partial to the rich. And then he says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of, of him to whom you belong? You know this, James's goal here isn't, it's not to pit the poor against the rich. He's not trying to do that. He's not trying to reverse the, being, the partiality here. He's not trying to do that at all. But what he's doing is he's addressing a problem that's happening right there in their context. Verse 8. James, now he's given us the what. Don't show favoritism. When we get to verse 9, we've seen the why already. Why, why not show favoritism? Well, Because it dishonors God. And it also dishonors people that God loves. All people matter to God. In verse 8, though, now we see how. Okay, so if you, like, if you take this as a warning, as an invitation to a better way, now when we get to verse 8, he says, hey, here's how you do it. Verse 8, if you really keep, he says, the royal law, what Jesus asks us to do, found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. In other words, if, if you come here today and you say, I want my life to please the heart of God, James is saying, do what the scripture says. Do what the word says. Does that sound familiar to you? It was last week, wasn't it? Be a doer, chapter one. Be a doer. Love your neighbor, he says, as yourself. Be a person of action. Treat other people like you want to be treated. God's desire is for us to see people as he sees them. And so I should not elevate certain people, and I also should not undervalue certain people for superficial reasons. I shouldn't do that. One of the guys on our staff was helping his brother-in-law with a, a video shoot for a benefit, and his brother-in-law needed some extra hands for this, and so he thought, his, he thought he might have some interest in it because the video shoot was with Warren Buffett and LeBron James. And so he called him and he said, hey, can you come and can you, you know, hold the cue cards and we're just going to go through this deal and they're going to be on the court, kind of having some fun together. And, and he said, you know, sure, I'll, I'll go down there, I'll do that. And so they got to the end of it. They finished up their time, a couple hours worth. And then his brother said, hey, we're actually going to go grab some lunch with Warren and LeBron James. Do you want to come? And without giving it a whole lot of thought, he said, no, I, I'm good. I've, I've actually got a lunch meeting already scheduled with somebody else. Well, that night he gets home and he's telling his family. 
Hey, what'd you do today, Dad? Oh, you know, just the normal stuff. You know, I hung out with uh, Warren Buffett and LeBron James, you know, and I, I did, though, I got invited to lunch with them, but I had another appointment, so I couldn't go to lunch, so I decided not to anyway, and, and, and his children were, like, confused. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> you could have had lunch with LeBron James, and you didn't take it? And he said, no, I, I, you could have been with Warren Buffett today for lunch, and, and you didn't go. And this is, the, this is the kicker. Guess who he had a lunch appointment with? He had a lunch appointment with a pastor. Now, I thought that was brilliant. I thought he made a great choice. I, I don't know what his kids were fussing about. I thought he made a great choice. But to his kids, they were thinking, Dad, what are you doing? Why would you not do that? Let me ask you this question. Are there certain people that we care more about because of their accomplishments than we do about their souls? Are there certain people that we just ignore because they don't have accomplishments? Are there certain people that we just we look up to too much? We, we, see, we see right to the accomplishment and we look right past the soul. Verse 9. In other words, James is going to tell us now, hey, if you haven't gotten it yet, I'm going to say it one more time. Here he goes, verse 9. Let's finish this up. He says, but if you show favoritism... You sin and are convicted by the law as law breakers. Verse 10, he's going to illustrate it again. This is what I mean. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. In other words, he's saying don't discriminate. But if, if, you, if you do discriminate, if you murder, if you avoid the poor, if you commit adultery, if you do any of those things, he's saying you, you fall into one category, and it's the same category. It's the people that need God because you've broken God's law. You're a sinner. You need Jesus Christ. And then verse 12, he summarizes it for us. Speak and act then. James is talking, be, be doers here. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. His bottom line here is he's saying, hey, I want to draw you back to the mercy of God. You've received the mercy of God, and so I want you to be a people that you gladly, you quickly, you show the mercy of God to all people. Now remember this morning, don't forget this, church. Remember, James is writing to Christians. And so when you think about this topic, don't think, okay, if I do that, if I don't show favoritism, if I'm the kind of person that I see people as God sees them and I, 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 I walk that line well, don't think that that somehow earns you favor with God. That's not what James is saying in this passage. What he's saying is this, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, because you believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, that's going to push you to act a certain way. It's going to be an expression of the faith that's deeply rooted in your heart. I think we have to constantly make that distinction as we go through this book. We are not made right by God because we do all of these things. We are made right by God because his grace was freely given to us, but then we respond to that grace by saying, okay, God, if you are who you are, and I worship you because of who you are and what you've done for me, so Lord, now, what does it mean to follow you? That's what James gave us here. And what he's saying is this, and I want to go back to those, those two questions we asked on the front end. Here they are. Ask this question this morning, church. Lord, who do you want me to see? And so maybe for you this morning, that first question, maybe ask yourself, is there anyone that you show favoritism to? 
And in the process of being partial to that person, you ignore this person. Maybe, maybe even this is for you. You'd say, there's a whole group of people that whenever I see anyone in that category, whatever that category is, and we all have our own things we're prone to, but is there anybody that you would say, man, I, I don't treat that group well in my mind, let alone in my actions. And maybe the Lord would just say to you today, hey, okay, that's who then you need to see. But then the second question, okay, Lord, how do you want me to see them? And Jesus would say this, I want you to see them under the royal law. I, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you think, again, think of that person. Maybe it's a relative. Uh, maybe somebody at school. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody down the street. Maybe it's somebody in a different part of the country. But when you think about that person, love them like you love yourself. How do you want to be loved? I tell you how I want to be loved. I don't want to be loved for superficial reasons. I want to be loved because of my soul. And Jesus is saying this, James is saying this, and James, he just echoes the patterns and the heartbeat and the words of Jesus Christ. You read James and you hear Jesus, and that's intentional. But Jesus would say this to us today. He would say, hey, just see past the superficial and see the soul. Love them like you want to be loved. Like if that was you, how would you want to be loved? Whoever that is that you're impartial to, you show favoritism to. So let's pray together and let's just ask for the Lord's help in this. Lord, we pray to you right now and we just say, Father, would you forgive us? Lord, would you forgive us for the times when we show favoritism, when we receive the face, but we ignore the soul? And Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to continue to be the kind of people that we look past the, the superficial and we look to the heart. And Father, I thank you for the things that are happening around here. Lord, it's so evident to see that you're growing us in these areas. Father, help us to continue to grow. Help us to continue to be a church that the city looks at, at this church in particular, and they say, wow, all people matter to God. All people matter to God. And Lord, we know that we will only exemplify that as much as we do as a church as we do individually. And so, Lord, we pray right now, confess us for we confess where we're wrong and we ask for your grace to help us lord help us to see people as you see them father we love you and we pray in christ's name